So today we are beginning a new series called Rhythms That Lead to Life. And I want to begin by reading a passage of scripture out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to begin this talk by asking, how would you respond to the following statements? Statement number one, I feel like I don't measure up and never do enough for God. Statement number two, I consistently make a great effort to follow Jesus and obey his teachings. Like on a scale of one to 10, one being never, 10 being always, where would you put yourself? I feel like I don't measure up and never do enough for God. I consistently make a great effort to follow Jesus and obey his teachings. Now, I'm not asking for your answers, but they will reflect to some extent how you understand relating to God and how you understand what he has done for you. At the core of these statements together are the also important subjects theologically we label as grace and works. Simplistically, grace is what God does for us through no merit of our own, and works are what we do. And it's super important for us to understand both and actually live in both rightly. In Philippians, I've read you an excerpt from God's chosen leader, the Apostle Paul, who interweaves the two together. In other places, Paul writes in such a way that they seem to be exclusive. So what gives? I hope what we will see today is that we do, in fact, need to respond to God's grace with works, but works that are rightly fitted for that grace. It's got to be the right kind of work in the right order. This last holiday season, I did some baking. Not my usual thing, but there were a couple of occasions when I had the time and I wanted to bless my family and, yes, bless my stomach too. And I have a binder of recipes that was given to me by one of my daughters. It contains the recipes of meals and baking that we have previously eaten and enjoyed. So, like, there's no wondering here. Right ingredients in the right order, yum. And I've learned a few things. Like, in one of the recipes, you mix the dry ingredients and wet ingredients first separately, then mix them together. And I also learned, it's sad that what happens when you use an ingredient to substitute for another ingredient, thinking they taste the same, and then use the substitute disproportionately. I did this Christmas and botched my specialty, the Greek dish of Spanakopita. Yeah, it truly is a specialty for me. I make it once every five years, and this time it did not work. We have a large number of professing Christian believers where their Christian life is not working for them. And part of the problem is that we have not grasped grace and works in the right way. We have missed the ingredient of one or the other or applied them disproportionately and or in the wrong order, only to find ourselves quite unmoved by our Christian walk, left with a bad taste at best and disillusioned at worst while leaving a poor witness to the world. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The main clause of command in these verses is work out your own salvation. And that will sound sort of strange, Christian vocabulary to many, as will Paul's words to do so with fear and trembling. 
We'll come back to these words, but first, we must note that this section of scripture begins with the word, therefore. Therefore is a word which indicates there's a prior cause or reason for us to act this way. As we work out our salvation, in our mind, there needs to be a clear understanding of something prior that precedes our behavior, and as we look at the previous verses, we see that has everything to do with the unmerited work of God called grace. Backing up a few verses to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, is a magnificent description of what Jesus did to make a relationship with God possible at his initiative, by his grace, to save us from our sins and bridge our separation from God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I call this passage the theological Christmas passage. And while the Gospels, especially Luke, tell us what took place on the ground, Philippians gives us the insight of heaven as to what took place in the bigger picture for Jesus to become one of us. He did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In our world, where grasping for power and abusing power are the norm, Jesus taking on human flesh, what we call the incarnation, is an act of such self-giving and sacrifice, it, it takes your breath away. You may have thought your style and freedoms have been quashed by COVID, but consider that he who would know what it is to be God with all power and mobility in the universe would then humble himself to the confines of humanity and then further submit himself to be unjustly tried, crucified as a criminal, tortured on a cross for our sake, undeservedly, how can you grasp this and not respond? The Christian life begins with grace and rightly leads to a therefore. Ephesians 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, what we should walk in them. Here Paul helps clarify grace and works in his letter to the Ephesians. Our works will never be good enough to save us. You cannot merit a right standing with God. So stop striving in this. You can't be good enough to obtain God's approval. It is given as a gift. We have nothing to boast about here. The only thing we can do is believe. Open your hands and your heart and receive it. And you are saved. That is grace. A while back, I was asked to meet with a, a friend of mine's younger brother who was interested in Christianity. And we met for coffee a few times and talked through the story of God and Jesus. At one point, I asked him about deciding to become a Christian. And he said he would like to, but that he wanted to clean up his life a bit first. Well, that's admirable, but it also meant that he didn't grasp the story yet. See, the whole point of Jesus becoming one of us and, and dying in our place is that we could never be acceptable by our own effort. From beginning to end, 
You can't clean yourself up enough. All the way through, you can't live consistently good enough. Jesus did that for you. And when you believe in him by faith, his perfect life becomes attributable to you. This is so amazing and so good. Like we do have a hard time believing it, it's so good. Surely we must do something. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So for all the self-starters, the self-made successes, this is a humbling, but a truth nonetheless. It is all by grace, a gift. Take a deep breath, receive it. But do read what Paul says next. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace is not exclusive of good works. Grace leads to them. To quote the words of the late Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace then responds. See the order? God works, we work. Both are necessary in the right way, in the right order. As God did with Adam in the beginning, he calls us into partnership with him as his workmanship, his image bearers who have a role to play in which we discover our purpose and calling, the excitement of living and the gifting he has made us for, you different than me, but together for his glory. And we do so always in the light of the prior activity of God that makes it possible. Works preceding from grace, prepared beforehand for us to do. Back to Philippians 2, speaking of Jesus and what he did for us at the cross, now pointing to his resurrection and ascension, verses 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our working out of our salvation is to be with the full view that the person who has gone to the cross to rescue us is also the one who now sits exalted in the universe at the right hand of God the Father, given a name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, and given a position that we confess is above all other, the Lord. No wonder Paul talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have been given a gift of magnificence through an act of unimaginable sacrifice by the one who is the supreme being of all creation to whom everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. God works, therefore we work, not necessarily in fear of judgment, but in awe. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation. God loves you as you are. Paul, in writing to believers here, calls them beloved. But God also loves you and I so much not to let us stay where we are. When you come to Christ, you come with thought patterns, physical habits, natural bents that God wants to transform, to come into alignment with the new person he has created you to be in Christ. You are made new. But there's a transformation process for you to experience and fully live in as a Christian going forward. And until Jesus comes again or you die, this process never ends. You have been saved. But there is a working out that needs to happen to experience all that comes with your salvation, given to you completely by grace, 
and that will not happen on its own. You have a personal part to play. And if you don't play that part, if I don't play my part, like can we really expect the abundance of life that Jesus came to give? Aren't we rather short-circuiting ourselves from God's good plan? Could this be why so many are disillusioned with Christian faith? As G.K. Chesterton so famously said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Chesterton's words stir up the question, how hard should this be? Could working out your salvation be effortless? And there are some that teach that, that as you see and experience God's grace and its magnificence, it shouldn't be hard at all. You should be so intoxicated with God's love for you that obedience comes naturally. Michael Brown in his book, Hyper Grace, summarizes this position. The message of effortless spirituality basically says this, don't strive, don't try to work at being spiritual. Jesus already paid the price. All you have to do is accept it. There's nothing you can add to what he's done. Don't be a legalist. Don't mix faith with works or grace with law. God wants you to rest and enjoy the ride. The old you is dead. The new you is seated in heavenly places and you don't need to do anything other than let the Lord do his work through you. Brown says there are parts of this that are wonderfully true. The problem, he says, is that the parts that are not true or the parts that are missing can prove fatal. Speaking for myself, Brown says, I can honestly say that following Jesus is more of a joy than a struggle. And when I really abide in him, being spiritual comes naturally and with ease. At the same time, to really honor the Lord and do the right thing and consistently abide in him requires determination and discipline. And there is often an intense battle involved in walking in full obedience to Jesus and saying no to the flesh and the world. I have been involved in athletics for most of my life and as part of that, running, cycling, working out with weights, uh, became regular and necessary, part of my lifestyle. And I've never hated that. And I continue to do much of those things despite being pretty sure at this point, no one is going to draft me to play professionally. But looking back, sometimes it was so easy to go to the gym. I was in a groove, you know, rested and full of energy. And I felt like going, and it felt so good for going. But there were many times that I had to drag myself, discipline myself, to fight, to make an effort to get there and get through it. Not because I hated it, just because it was difficult. And if I only went to the gym or cycled or ran when I felt like it, I would never have been physically what I needed to be. The evangelical Anglican John Charles Ryle once wrote, it would not be difficult to point out at least 25 or 30 distinct passages in the epistles, that is the apostles' letters to the churches and individuals, where believers are plainly taught to use active personal exertion and are addressed as responsible for doing energetically what Christ would have them do and are not told to yield themselves up as passive agents and sit still, but to arise and work a holy violence, a conflict, a warfare, a fight, a soldier's life, a wrestling, are spoken of as characteristic of the true Christian. Hey, it is not okay to work to earn God's approval. It, it's not okay to be legalistic and take pride in your self-denial and discipline. That will only set you up for failure. But we don't stop doing what God has prescribed in order to be non-legalistic. Rather, 
Let's make sure our works, our discipline, and our effort are rightly connected to God's grace, which even in the face of difficulty leads to action, to life change, to transformation. This is what God wants for you. That who you are and who you are becoming and what you are doing increasingly looks like Jesus. This is for your good and for the good of the world. And because God loves you and the world, it is not okay to stay where you are. As you look a little ahead from this passage in Philippians 3, Paul the great apostle speaks of his own approach to living out his Christian faith, to knowing God and the resurrection to come. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I strain forward, I press on, not only proceeding from grace, but immersed in grace. Listen to this in Philippians 2, as Paul goes on to say these powerful words in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you get that? As we take the step forward to do whatever it is that God is asking of us, we can know that God is working with us even to will to, to do the right thing and then to carry out those right things as well. More grace. And there are lots of obstacles to keep you from obeying God and walking in step with him. Forces of darkness, the world you live in, patterns of behavior, faulty thinking. But as you see what God wants for you, whether it's sexual purity, telling the truth, obeying your parents, doing what your boss tells you, loving your spouse, forgiving an offense, trusting God financially, humbling yourself to admit you're wrong, etc., etc., outlined in this book, and you take the step and keep making the effort, God, who started you in his grace, comes and gives you more grace. His power to make you want and do those things that are his good pleasure and ultimately good for you. I grew up driving a standard. It wasn't easy to learn at the first, so hard at the beginning. I remember we put cans on the ground to practice in the living room. Uh, the gas pedal is, is, on, is the can of beans on the right. The brake is the, the can of corn in the middle and the clutch is the can on the left. And, uh, now practice with your feet, you know, on the gas with the right, off the clutch with your left. The difficulty to learn this new pattern was hard, but I wanted to drive and that is the kind of car my parents had. So I persevered and so did my dad with me to practice in, in empty parking lots and hills with no one around, jerking so badly as I'm learning it. And Dad never gave up on me. As, as long as I was willing, he was right there to see me through, coaching me, calming me down, helping me. And at some point, it was okay. And at some point, it became second nature. God's not going to give up on you. He knows with his help, you can make it through whatever challenge is in front of you right now and the next one too. There are things that are particular to your life that he wants to do. But there are also rhythms that are, that are helpful for working out your salvation that are, that are common to all of us. And in the next number of weeks, from, from now till spring, we are going to cover some of those most important rhythms, giving all of us together the opportunity to practice them and take them deeper as part of our working out of our, our faith, our salvation. Prayer, scripture, community, stewardship, and other rhythms. 
I invite you to dive in. This year, go deeper, further, even if it is unfamiliar, inconvenient, or, or uncomfortable. Taking the step where your intentionality meets God's empowerment. Work out your own salvation and watch what God will do, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure.